Hello, my name's Larry Seidman here in Victoria, BC, Canada. Welcome to Discovering Jazz, where you and I discover this great music, old and new, together. Thanks to Peterborough Independent Podcasters for hosting this podcast. I was part of an online song circle where a few of us take turns performing a song while the rest listen and sometimes dance. I played on my keyboard and sang, How Deep is the Ocean? The coordinator of the circle, Edward, asked me afterwards if what I was playing were jazz chords. I fumbled for an answer. This week, I want to explore that question further. I thought that my version of that Irving Berlin tune is fairly straightforward. I didn't think of it as jazz. I'll play a version of that song, and while it's not exactly how I played it, nor would it be considered jazz, there are some similarities to both how I played it and jazz. One of the first versions I ever heard of How Deep is the Ocean from 1957, Les Paul and Mary Ford. How much do I love you? I'll tell you no lie. How deep is the ocean? How high is the sky? How many times a day do I think of you? How many roses are sprinkled with dew How far would I travel To be where you are How far is the journey From here to a star And if I ever lost you How much would I cry How deep is the ocean How high is the sky
I'm going to use a Socratic method of answering Edward's question as to whether what I played were jazz chords. That involves answering a question with a question, which interestingly is exactly what Irving Berlin is doing in the lyrics of that song, where he answers virtually all the questions with another question. And it's one that implies the answer, such as, how far will I travel to be where you are? And the answer is, how far is the journey from here to a star? So if you want to know if that version of how deep is the ocean used jazz chords, my answer would be to play this next version by the Bill Evans Trio and ask you, are those jazz chords?
Bill Evans Trio with Scott LaFaro on bass and Paul Motion drums from 1961, How Deep Is the Ocean? Were you able to recognize the melody from the beginning? I don't think I would have been able to if I didn't know that that's what they were playing, near the end for sure. The chords were similar to the tune I knew, but like most jazz arrangements, especially over the last 70 years, they were changed. But while sometimes it might not seem like it, people who really know jazz will tell you that there is a logic as to how and why those changes are made. I asked the question of what are jazz chords in a Facebook page called Jazz World and received a few answers and, in the Socratic style, a few other questions. Many said quite flatly that there is no such thing as a jazz chord. I'll talk more about that shortly. Another question. Is there a specific type of tune that is jazz and a type of tune that isn't jazz? Here's my answer to that question. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder. Up above the world so high Like a diamond in the sky Twinkle, twinkle, little star How I wonder what you Wilsman, 
and her version of that traditional tune might also give us a hint as to what might be meant by jazz chords or jazz harmonies. One person from the Jazz World site, Reginald Jackson, stated, There's really no such thing as a jazz chord. A chord is a chord. How you play it determines whether it's jazz. You can play a nursery rhyme and turn it into jazz. You can play rock and roll or any type of pop tune and phrase it as jazz. I guess we heard a nice illustration of that in that last tune. Another responder from the Jazz World site, Robert Kennedy, wrote, There are basically two things we consistently do as jazz musicians playing pop tunes. Number one, we add dissonance in controlled amounts to enrich the harmony. Number two, we add voice leading to make interesting counter melodies. Sometimes we also make rhythmic or feel changes, but number one and number two happen every time. Unquote. There were a few things happening in that tune that turned Twinkle Twinkle Little Star into jazz. There were a few rhythmic variations that gave it a subtle swing. There was some playing with the melody. But most significantly, the chords were really different from the twinkle twinkle little star we all know. Most often the changes make the tune more complex, although not always, as I'll demonstrate later. Responder Cameron Beatty gave me a delightful example of that complexity. The tune is called Just One of These Things, written by Cole Porter. Let me play first a more standard version. It's Jazz Swing from 1954, Frank Sinatra. It was just one of those things Just one of those crazy flings One of those bells that now and then rings Just one of those things It was just one of those nights Just one of those fabulous flights A trip to the moon on gossamer wings Just one of those things If we thought of it about the end of it When we started painting the town We'd have been aware that our love affair was too hot not to cool down. So goodbye, dear darling. Here's hoping we'll meet now and then. It was great fun. But it was just one of those things It was just, just one of those nights Just one of those fabulous flights 
A trip to the moon on gossamer wings. Just one of those things. If we thought of it about the end of it, when we started painting that town, we'd have been aware that our love affair was too hot, not too cool down. So goodbye, goodbye, bye bye, goodbye, baby and amen. Here's hoping we'll meet now and then. It was great fun, but it was just one of those things. Next, the same tune by Polish composer and pianist Adam Makowitz. As you listen to this and you think of the word chord, defined as a combination of three or more pitches sounded simultaneously, for most of it, there are barely any chords here. There are harmonic sequences, a bunch of notes played one after another that suggest a harmony. Just one of those things.
Wow. <laughs> Adam Makowitz from 1993. He currently lives in Toronto. So even though Edward and asking whether something I was playing was a jazz chord, probably was referring to three or more notes played together, the specific chords really can't generally be used as a significant part of the definition of jazz. But the harmonic sequences certainly can, whether they are a bunch of notes played together or one after another. But for simplicity's sake, I'm going to keep calling them all chords for our purposes. In answer to my query in jazz world about what makes a chord a jazz chord, Brian Ward said something that kind of took me by surprise, but by golly, I think it might be true. He said, I think what distinguishes jazz harmony is how we treat the leading tone. In traditional harmony, the leading tone resolves upwards. In jazz harmony, it resolves on the same note or moves down a step. Leading tone, by the way, simply refers to a note or pitch that resolves one semitone higher or lower. So is that true? Well, how deep is the ocean and how high is the sky? I'm going to play just a bit of Hank Williams singing Your Cheating Heart, focusing on where his group, the Drifting Cowboys, do their brief instrumental solo. Then follow it with Vancouver jazz singer Jennifer Scott and pianist Miles Black and their jazz arrangement of the tune. Is this a good illustration of the difference between jazz and non-jazz? I don't know. It probably only leads to further questions, which I'll leave to you. You're cheating heart will make you weep. You'll cry and cry and try to sleep but sleep won't come the whole night through your cheating heart will tell on you when tears come down like falling rain cheating heart will make you weep you'll cry and cry 
and you'll try to sleep but sleep won't come the whole night through your cheating heart will tell on you when tears fall down like falling rain you'll toss around and you'll call you'll call my name You'll walk the floor the way I do. Your cheating heart will tell on you. Jennifer Scott and Miles Black. There are a few things in terms of the chords or the harmonic sequence that might indicate that a performance is jazz. Usually when you think of making a harmony, a jazz harmony, we think of it in two ways. One is where you add, maybe changing it from the original, a seventh note to the three notes of the chord, or a ninth note, an eleventh, a thirteenth, and they could be flattened or sharpened making the chord richer. Let me demonstrate on my keyboard here. Here are a few possible additions to a C chord that goes like this. Okay, first I'm gonna play a C chord. Now I'll add a major seventh. Now I'll flatten that seventh, it'll be a dominant seventh. Now a ninth, or sometimes it could be a flattened ninth. An eleventh usually a sharp 11th for a major key. Now we'll try a 13th. Brush a flattened 13th. Get the idea? But often the original composers already used many of those chords in their song. And so-called classical composers such as Tchaikovsky, Ravel, and especially Debussy used those chords. So they can't be considered exclusively jazz chords. Now the other type of jazzifying of tunes became most prominent in the 1950s with 
Bill Evans, who we heard earlier playing How Deep Is the Ocean, being a most popular exponent. That's called reharmonization, where you put in an entirely different chord than what was written. There are some rules in jazz theory that make sense of their decisions to use certain substitute chords rather than others, but I won't get into that because this program isn't about theory. Sometimes a well-known jazz musician like Dexter Gordon, Miles Davis, Ahmad Jamal, or Bill Evans might make some changes to the tune, and then everybody after that thinks that this is how the song goes, and those changes get used. Sometimes the new changes simplify it, other times they make it more complicated. Here's one where it was simplified. Bye Bye Blackbird was written in 1926 by pop writers Ray Henderson and Mort Dixon. Jazz people mostly ignored it until Peggy Lee recorded it in 1955. Her version is very much the way I remember it, uh, hearing it as a kid. And while it's slower than the older versions, chord-wise it's pretty similar. Then Miles Davis got a hold of it two years later, and he actually simplified it to make it easier to improvise over. Let's hear the Peggy Lee version first from a soundtrack album to the film Pete Kelly's Blues, Bye Bye Blackbird. Pack up all my cares and woes Here I go Singing low Bye Bye Blackbird Where somebody Waits for me Sugar sweet So is he Blackbird 
Peggy Lee, Bye Bye Blackbird. Now for the more simplified Miles Davis version. This is Miles Davis with John Coltrane on tenor sax, Red Garland piano, Paul Chambers bass, and Philly Joe Jones drums from 1957, Round About Midnight album. And this is the version that most jazz players seem to use these days. Thank <laughs> you. 
Most people think that the jazz versions are more complex harmonically, and often they are, and often they aren't, as that Miles Davis version of Bye Bye Blackbird that we just heard illustrates. But they're almost all more interesting rhythmically, and they have a greater variety of of changes in the melody, even when they're playing that head or main melody rather than the improvisation. Now for a tune written by a jazz musician that was originally pretty simple harmonically, but has been made more complicated, although probably not more interesting, by more modern jazz players. I'm talking about Duke Ellington's I'm Beginning to See the Light. The real book, which has been an important guide for jazz students to use in jam sessions, has been criticized for using a version of this tune that had different chords in the original Duke Ellington version where they have have, uh, six chords in the first three bars, while the Ellington version has only one, mainly unjustly criticized, as I'll I'll, uh, demonstrate later. Here is that version by Duke Ellington, released in 
December of 1944 with Joya Sherrill singing. original Duke Ellington recording of the tune, written in collaboration with Harry James and Johnny Hodges. I'm beginning to see the light. But maybe the real book didn't get it wrong after all, since that same month, December of 1944, and actually before the Duke Ellington release, Harry James and his orchestra put out a version that had that greater number of chords in the first three bars. I'll play just a bit of it to illustrate. So 
So does one of those versions use jazz chords while the other one doesn't? Another Socratic question. How far is the journey from here to the stars? I talked about how sometimes jazz artists end up not making the tune more complicated, but actually simplifying it, which a few people on the Jazz World site took issue with when I suggested it. I asked Ron Drodos, who has a great blog and YouTube series called Journey Through the Real Book. He suggested that George Gershwin, for example, would use many more chromatic passing chords than jazz musicians would want to improvise over, so jazz musicians simplified them. Fascinating rhythm is a fascinating example. First, the original 1926 version by Fred and Adele Astaire with George Gershwin himself on piano. Listen to the chromatic passing chords right from the start. Now for a 1964 version by Sarah Vaughan, gets rid of the passing tones, simplifying the chord sequence, and many versions after that did the same thing. Fascinating rhythm, you got me on the go. Fascinating rhythm, I'm all a quiver. What a mess you're making, the neighbors wanna know. Just like a flivver Each morning I get up with the sun It didn't matter 
So, which of those versions is or isn't using jazz chords? I have so many other questions, plus a few things I'd love to demonstrate, but I'm running out of time. So, one final question. If you were going to write a Jazz for Dummies book and state one thing that distinguished a jazz chord from a non-jazz chord, what would it be? Let me play you on the piano a couple bars of Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah, played in a folk, country, or easy-listening style. Now, I realize that neither of those versions could <laughs> certainly be called jazz in any way because the rhythm is so stifled and the melody is just played so straight. But just from a harmonic perspective, doesn't that second one sound a little bit jazzier? In the latter version, I replace the major chords with major sevenths and a sixth chord. When a jazz musician is given a score and sees any major chord, they virtually always add a major seventh or occasionally a sixth. When I was in a rock band and I did that, I think that's what got me kicked out of the band. You don't put major seventh chords in Creedence Clearwater songs. So could the major seventh chord be the secret? Real jazz musicians will, of course, take issue with this. And in fact, they laugh at those wannabe jazz players who think that just by playing the major seventh, they are playing jazz. But could there be just a slight element of truth? I want to end with a pop hit from the early 1960s. The British invasion was taken hold with the Beatles, the Dave Clark Five, the Stones, the Searchers, and my personal favorites, the Zombies. The latter, by the way, are still touring. I told everybody they would outlast the Beatles, and they didn't believe me. But I always thought of them as being more jazzy, and they used a lot of major sevenths chords. A coincidence? Of course, their rhythms were pretty complex, too, compared to those other pop groups. From 1964, here are the Zombies, and this is Larry Sademan and Discovering Jazz saying goodbye. Next week, maybe some more great music? Maybe something about jazz bellwethers? How about Miles Davis? And that she should tell you, come closer. And if she 
that she tempts you with a charm. Just remember 